Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen. I'm the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit organizations all across the country to help them translate vision into reality. I want to welcome everybody back to another episode of the podcast. Looking forward to this conversation. Um, we've had some versions of this conversation in the past, but I, I found our guest today to be a really compelling um, story, a really compelling uh, leader in the nonprofit space who has evolved and helped her organization evolve during the difficult uh, pandemic and challenging times that we've all lived through over the past year. With that, I want to welcome Deborah Porta to the podcast. Deborah is the executive director of Pride Northwest. Deborah, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you with us. I appreciate you making time for the conversation. Deborah, tell us um, tell us first a little bit about your own background before we get to your organization. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, I'm executive director of Pride Northwest. We're a 501c3 in Portland, Oregon. I uh, have been with the organization, which is a little unusual for Pride, um, Pride entities. I've been in with the organization in one way or another since 2006. Uh, first as a volunteer, then as board president for nine years, and then now as executive director. Um, I, my engagement with Pride dire directed my educational path, eventually getting my master's specializing in nonprofit management. Um, I was one of those people who, when I started volunteering, I caught the bug. And, uh, and really everything just kind of came after that. I'm well, well, you caught that. the, you caught the bug, but on the other yeah. side, the organization saw <laughs> a lot of talent and a lot of ability in you. And, and that has to be a really unique experience to have seen the organization through a bunch of different lenses from a volunteer to a board president to now the executive director. I'm curious about how that has, uh, in, in your view, enhanced your perspective of the organization's mission. Um, well, it's actually been really interesting to see it from, from all of those viewpoints. It, um, my experience as board president has really impacted how I function as an executive director, actually, because I, I have a, and have an understanding of the importance of a board and, uh, and what it means to serve on a board. At the same time, it also means I have uh, some pretty high expectations of my board members as well. Because because I know what they're supposed to do, um, but it's it's definitely I think benefited my ability to to navigate decision making and uh, and to be flexible in how we do things because I've been in in those various positions. Right, and, it, and I think it gives you a more holistic, more well-rounded view of the organization when you're able to, whether literally having worn those other hats um, or figuratively be able to see an organization from different viewpoints. Definitely. I'm curious if you could maybe talk to us a little bit about pre-pandemic. So before we'll say roughly March 2020, um, what, what were things looking like for your organization? If you had to describe your programs, your services, what you were primarily known for and doing, um, how would you describe that pre-pandemic? Well, that's an interesting question. As, as a pride organization, we are most known for and were created for uh, the annual Portland Pride Waterfront Festival and Parade. So we're the annual pride celebration, and um, which is the largest LGBTQ plus cultural celebration in Oregon. And we were founded in 94 and that's our primary purpose. But as, as a pride organization, going back to the origins of pride, we've also evolved 
to to support community and to utilize pride as a tool for lifting up our community, advocating for our people and and benefiting in a number of ways, particularly around bringing visibility to who we are, how we contribute and and what our issues are. So that's always been part of what we do, but putting on a large scale event like Pride is, uh, is pretty labor intensive. It takes a lot of capacity and we're a really small organization. So, so our primary purpose is Pride and that's been the primary thing that we've done over the years. Um, as we've grown and been able to do more beyond the event itself, um, that pretty much positioned us actually to be ready to respond to COVID. Um, but before COVID, it was definitely very much a focus on, on the event itself and expanding the event. Organizationally, we were positioned at that time, really we were looking at, at what I tend to call next level growth because we had, again, unlike a lot of pride organizations, we had managed to to build some funds in the bank, so to speak. And we're really positioning ourselves uh, and, and building the vision of how we wanted to grow Pride's service to the community. Um, so I'm, I'm putting on my, my former nonprofit CEO hat and I'm mm -hmm. thinking that, you know, as you sat there in, in February and early March, 2020, being an organization that is so heavily invested in an event, that had to be a little bit of a scary place to be. I mean, it had to, even if you had been having those conversations and those thoughts in advance, I'm sure there were a couple of sleepless nights in there for you. you know, there were more than a couple. It was, <laughs> uh, it was interesting. We, I was doing at the time when, when we started, when things started rolling, we could see it coming. We could see things happening. I, I spent a lot of time reaching out to other large event organizers to find out how, what are you doing? Like, for example, here in Portland, we have the Rose Festival, which is the largest celebration event of, of almost any kind in Oregon. Um, so we were able to reach out to them and reach out to um, others, even Cinco de Mayo, other organizers, like, what are you planning? What are you thinking? Uh, and we also reached out to, to other prides Pride organizations around the world had started having conversations and we were part of those. Um, really weighing, really the question was how long do we have to make a decision? Um, that given the time period uh, of early to mid-March, which is what we're talking about uh, right at a year ago, uh, we were about to be in the thick of, of making lots of final decisions and expenditures around pride, which is in June. So really it was a, it was a weighing the pros and cons. What are we, what are we dealing with? What do we think is possible? And because we had already been involved in some, some direct community service, particularly around the unhoused um, population in, in Portland, which is significant. We also had access to our, our county folks, our city folks, some state level folks to really get an idea of, of what those conversations were looking like. Right. So I think we had a little bit better of an inside view to, uh, to go ahead and make decisions that we needed to make. Now, you said you had positioned the organization to be more 
robust, to be more than just event focused uh, or, or solely event focused. I'm curious how you had um, ha- how you had how you had done that. What were some of the key steps that you took along the way? Um, what led you to ha- to ask those questions? Well, it's it really goes back to the longer I've been engaged in a pride organization, the more I've learned about our history and where pride comes from. And pride was never intended to simply be an event uh, or a parade or a march or any of those. It's not a single point in time. That was the starting point. It was the thing to bring us out into the open, our LGBTQ plus people, and to start the work of advocating for ourselves or to advance the work, I should say. Um, and I really take that to heart that, that pride isn't quote, just the big party one, one time of year, it has a purpose in lifting up our community and being a resource. And so that's the way that I've always approached it. And so over time, in addition to pride and expanding what we were doing around the event itself, we were committed and are still committed to utilizing the resources that are available to us to, to put out into the community, whether it's sponsoring, you know, we, we're the fiscal sponsor for several other smaller grassroots organizations um, who are doing fantastic direct community work. So we're supporting them in their work and utilizing our platform for that. Um, we sponsoring other events, other uh, particularly uh, LGBTQ plus youth conferences and that sort of thing. Um, and building those relationships. And that's kind of where we started was just this small pieces of how do we directly support something through the year in our community and, um, and, and help create connections and ties. So my next couple of questions are more about um, the responses that you received when you started asking some of those questions. I'm curious when you started talking to your board about, because this is a pretty significant shift for your organization, Pride Northwest, more direct service, more community partnership. How did those, how did those conversations go? Was the board receptive to that? Um, And if so, what, you know, what, what types of questions or concerns did they have? Um, Well, I say there's two pieces. Over time, this, what I'm describing has happened over time, including when I was on the board itself. Um, and, and really the, the general response from fellow board members, from board members that I now answer to, uh, has really been, uh, okay, let's go. It's about time. This is really what I've learned over time more than anything is that moving in this direction is what our community has been wanting its pride organization to do and to be. It's always looked for pride to be more than just that event. It's a very significant cultural piece of our community and, and has always been seen as a potential resource for lifting up our people. And so moving in that direction has made a lot of sense because how we function and operate as an organization has been very much um, based around who, what does our community need us to be? And so part of these, part of this, of this shift and part of this change in adding to what we're doing is in direct response to what our community and our leadership has needed and wanted us to do. 
I'm curious, how did you get some of that feedback? You know, I, I hear what you're saying about how, you know, th what you were doing is what the community needed you to do and who they needed you to be. I'm curious, how, how did folks vocalize that to you? You know, did you have conversations? Did you have focus groups? Um, how did you get that information, that affirmation that you were on the right path during this really volatile, tumultuous time? Mostly from, <coughs> excuse me, mostly from direct conversation um, over one of the benefits of having been engaged with pride for so long is that I've also had the opportunity to build relationships and, and some fairly significant relationships with different parts of our community, organizations, partners, et cetera. And, and so we have the opportunity to have lots of conversations and really a lot of, of, of how we know we're moving in the right direction is people telling us, I'm so happy that you're doing that. I so appreciate that this is what's happening. I love that that conversation is going on, this sort of really direct, because if our community is not happy with us, they will let us know. <laughs> so it is very, uh, we have a pretty clear conduit for feedback, formal and otherwise, because our community talks to us. And particularly around one of the things that we very much focused on is ensuring that we move our board of directors in a direction that, um, that is very much inclusive of people close to the community uh, and very diverse in their representation so that we don't have closed doors and so that we, we have that open communication around really understanding and knowing what's happening in our community. It's interesting. I, I'd love to hear your reflections on this. I've heard a lot of people talk about COVID as having caused certain changes for nonprofit organizations. What I hear you saying, though, is that these are changes that were in the works for a long time. These were thoughts that you were having in terms of evolving and, and reconnecting to who the community needed you to be. And in that sense, COVID was more of maybe a catalyst to speed up the rate of change, but yeah. it didn't actually cause something that wasn't going to happen otherwise. I wonder if you could reflect on that, that difference for, for just a minute. Um, that's definitely true. Uh, COVID catalyst is the right word. It provided that moment for us to to speed up at moving in that community-based direction. Um, and it's, we've never wanted to move in a direction that takes away from pride uh, because pride in and of itself is significant and we don't wanna lose sight of that. So, so it's, it's about adding to and expanding what we're doing. And COVID, COVID really honestly provided that opportunity for us to, to speed up moving in that direction and uh, having it make sense to significantly shift our resources at that time and, and we continue to do. I'm curious, nonprofit organizations very much function in an ecosystem, particularly mm -hmm. in a community. And you mentioned that you have a, a number of partners that are other, otherwise nonprofit organizations. One of the um, concerns that I hear sometimes from nonprofit leaders about taking their organization in another direction is how will those other nonprofit organizations, how will they see us? How will they feel about that strategic shift that we're making? I'm curious, all of your partner nonprofits, your partners in the community, how did they view this shift that you were, that you were undertaking? Um, 
pretty, pretty positively, honestly, because I, I've been aware of, uh, you know, we, we do live in a, in a fairly tight ecosystem here. And uh, I learned a long time ago from my early mentor in the field to, uh, to be aware of, of, of our lane and, and everybody else's lane for that matter. <laughs> To, uh, and so I take that into account. We, we don't have a desire to encroach on the amazing work that someone else is doing, that CAP or Basic Rights Oregon or any of these other organizations are doing. Um, we just, our perspective is that there's room for, for all of us to do more of what we're doing. And it's, it's not about uh, competing with we we have no desire whatsoever, and I've repeated this multiple times in the past. Uh, we have no desire to compete with our own community, and um, which can happen. I've seen it, um, but that's not who we are. We're right. we're here to advance all of us. Uh, the in our opinion, the, it's not about competing over pieces of the pie. It's about making the pie bigger. And, and that's, so that's what we focus on and we stay in communication. I, we have no desire to replace basic rights, Oregon as our legislative arm for the community, right. for example, but we can do things and we have abilities to lift up and support what they're doing, which in turn benefits our community. You mentioned that communication piece. And I think that anytime there's a, a change or a transition or an evolution in an organization, that's vitally important. Um, I, I know a lot of leaders spend a lot of time focusing on the structural change and how is this going to alter our programs? I'm curious, how did you approach the communication challenge, whether it be talking to board members, talking to community partners, talking to volunteers, supporters, donors, um, about the direction that you were taking the organization and why? How did you intentionally manage that process? And what maybe were one or two lessons that you learned along the way? Um, well, I'm not sure if I can claim that it was an intentional process. <laughs> uh, we, it's a, a lot of how we've moved is, is really just sort of indicative of, of, um, and I, I don't want to make it all about me, but I've been here for a long time. So a lot of it is indicative of just simply how I operate, which is, uh, which entails communication and listening to people and finding out where folks are at and getting their feedback. And that those conversations and that communication has really informed and directed where we've come to. It's not so much about we've made internal decisions to change and now we're going to need to let folks know. It's really a result of, of the communication happening beforehand and over time. And so when we, for example, during COVID, very specifically took on some direct service type efforts, no one was surprised. No one was... Uh, was not expecting that because it's become part of our persona as an organization that uh, when something needs to happen, we're going to figure out how to, how to help in whatever's happening. So it's, it's not this sort of finite turning point that has happened. It's really an evolution over a lot of years, actually. Deborah, one of the questions that I get asked frequently, particularly at this 
this time. You know, vaccines are rolling out. Um, people are starting to think about what comes next. Is what does that look like for nonprofit organizations on the other side of whatever? you know, however you want to characterize the pandemic. I'm curious from your perspective for your organization, you've made some changes during this time period. How many of those then become permanent changes and how much do you then revert uh, back to who you were prior to March, 2020? How do you balance those two um, to take the best of both? Um, Well, I think you have to be, and I know we are, um, staying conscious of that we we don't have a desire to to quote go back to how things were before because we had already wanted to move in a much more evolved direction in terms of our programming and what we're doing in community so so really for for us i can speak for us we we intend to keep going down this path that involves an amazing annual celebration because our community deserves that and it's important on its own, along with these other areas where we're able to utilize our platform and our resources to, to directly support and directly uplift. So for us, it's, it's, there is no choosing to go back to not doing it because we've been moving in this direction for a long time. Um, organizations generally in the sector, I would, I would hope that I see some of the same kind of thinking it's I, I it's not a there is no going back to how it was before because there are so many problematic things to how things were before right. you know looking at I, I would like to see certain conversations evolve even more you know the foundation world for example to really now that foundations have discovered that yes they can actually be flexible and do certain things let's Let's evolve that and, and ensure that that resource is able to grow and that they're able to have a, a much stronger impact. Same thing, same thing with nonprofits on the ground, you know, on the front lines. It's what the thing that the pandemic has done, I think more than anything else, is it's forced all of us out of our comfort zones and out of our complacency in terms of, well, this is the way it is, so this is how we have to do things. When in fact, no, not really. We we can actually get creative, and and hit on all of our strengths. To okay, now what? What do we actually want to do, and where do we actually want to go? Now that now that that sort of mental barrier has been broken. Uh, so that's what I would actually like to see. And, and I think it's naturally. It naturally leads to an important conversation that I know is coming for the sector, and, I, and I'm looking forward to it, is around capacity, right? Mm-hmm. Because you talked about, you know, y- you still want to have a vibrant event, and that's a critical part of who you are and what you want to do moving forward. But you've also seen all of these additional pieces, all of these additional needs in the community. For a right. lot of nonprofit staffs around the country right now, they're, they're stretched pretty darn thin because they're trying to do the best of both. They're trying to take the best of who they were and the best of who they've become and do both. That leads to a natural conversation that we need to have as a sector around how do we properly resource? How do we properly develop and how do we properly build the type of capacity within our organizations that we can grow to meet the, the, these additional needs that we've identified? 
Well, sure. And that's a that's a conversation that was happening before the pandemic. Oh, sure. The, yeah, right. It's sure. a it, that's the long forever conversation around recognizing that the work that the nonprofit sector is doing is real work. And and it takes finances, it takes people on the ground, it takes all of these resources. It doesn't take any less to do what we do than any other company. But there's this there's this assumption that that that's not true, that we should somehow be able to function with fewer people, fewer resources, and still accomplish all of these things. And I think that the pandemic has sort of allowed that door to open for folks to see that, no, that's actually not true. That right. that's not, we, we hinder ourselves by just chronically under-resourcing the sector. And, um, and, I don't, and that's what I'm hoping that that particular door won't close again. Um, right. Even for myself, I am uh, grappling with recognizing that I might be doing a disservice to my own organization by having functioned at the level that I have for so long, because there is this little bit of, we always get it done. And so if you always get it done and you're doing it well, human nature is to assume that you must not need anything. Right. right? And right. that this must be okay. And like, well, it's really, it's really not. Let's have a real conversation about what it could really take to do what we actually want to do. Deborah, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. I, I, I think all of our listeners can see why I asked you to join us on the podcast today, which is to share the great work that you've been doing as executive director of Pride Northwest, along with your team. You know, it, it, it does take a team to do that. Deborah, oh, if yeah. folks want to get more information about your organization, uh, want to reach out to you directly, how can they best get a hold of you? Um, well, this, our website is pridenw.org. Uh, Mike, I can give my direct email. I'm always open for conversations. It's Deborah, D-E-B-R-A dot Porta, P-O-R-T-A at pridenw.org. Deborah, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. I really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate your time. Oh, I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. And with that, I just want to thank everybody for continuing to listen to Nonprofit Vision. This has been Greg Nielsen of Nielsen Training and Consulting. You can always reach out to me directly on my website at www.nielsenconsults.com or also always love connecting with folks on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. With that, I hope everybody stays safe and stay well out there, and we'll be back soon with another episode.